Hello and welcome to CMO Combos, the CMO Alliance podcast, the show where we have, well, conversations really with some of the best and brightest CMOs and top level marketers around the world. In this episode, I'm speaking to Patrick Edmonds, CMO of Proposify, on growth, both in terms of your business, but also how you grow and evolve within the CMO role. Hi, Patrick. Uh, Welcome to CMO Combos. Uh, Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So probably just get started. uh, Just tell us a bit about your your background, like how you got into the the CMO role, um, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, I'm the CMO currently at Proposify. They're an online business proposal software. It gives you control and insight into the most important stage of your sales process, which is the close and the sign off. And I started here. It's it'll be five years actually um, next month, or in about a couple of weeks. And I started as a growth marketer, not at, not in the CMO kind of role. Uh, at that time, the company was only t- about ten people, about a million in revenue. Uh, and since then, over the last five years, we've scaled to be over hundred people, close to 10 million in, in revenue. And, uh, and, and I've seen a lot of evolution and kind of scale, scale from there. So my, yeah, my background, uh, previous to that was in a lot of paid advertising and, and analytics kind of in the, um, say the, the early 2010s when like Facebook advertising really started to become a major channel for, for marketers. And in addition to Google and, and other paid advertising things, and it was a great way to, uh, Basically, I worked at an agency where I would work on multiple different campaigns and, and plans and a good way to kind of cut your teeth as a, as a marketer and learn what really works and, and what does. Um, my CEO even called it one time. It's like you're a private shopper for other people. So you're, you're leveraging all of these big budgets um, from, from, from great brands and great organizations and learning what really works and what really doesn't work, uh, targeting lots of different kind of target audiences and different products and different markets. And so that was really exciting. Um, but I kind of found out that doing that for a lot of different companies, you can only get so far, you can only scratch at the surface to a certain degree of, of what is possible. And so I really wanted to take a lot of those skills and apply it to one particular company. And I was lucky enough to be able to, to do that at Proposify. Awesome. So um, did you, did you approach like the CMO role when you got to it with like any kind of like philosophy or have you sort of like developed a, a philosophy as you've gone on? Like, is there sort of like a, some of the drives you as a CMO? Yeah, definitely not not going into it. I didn't I didn't have like a, a, a inspirational quote on the wall or anything <laughs> like that. But I, over the years, you kind of you learn things about what's worked and 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 what doesn't. So I'd say right now, if I had to like, what's what's my overall philosophy? It'd be like to go go all in on whatever your given strategy is at a time, but always be prepared to fail because you you probably will fail more often than you will actually succeed. Um, so it's this kind of give and take where if you don't if you don't shoot for the, for Mars, you're never going to get to the moon sort of idea. And so inspiring a team to be able to do that and make sure that you're really pushing yourself to succeed is, is really, really important, but you have to realize that like those big shots, like not all of them are always going to going to be successful. So make sure that you're aware of what you're doing, what the risks and, and rewards are, make those big bets. And the only way for them to really, truly be successful is if you put your all and everything into, into it um, so that it, you're giving every chance, the, the, every opportunity, the best chance to succeed, but then be prepared to be like, okay, well, what's the next thing? If this didn't go as, uh, as good as I want it to be, you got, you always have scenario planning and backup planning and they're like, what's the next thing that you're going to do so that you're always incrementally making a little bit of improvement every single, every single time that you do, but you can't be overly conservative with that sort of stuff too, or else you'll, you won't scale and you won't grow. So, so I suppose if you did have an inspirational quote on the wall, it sounds like it'd be that, that Wayne Gretzky quote, what is it? It's like you miss every 
Every shot oh, you don't take. Take, yeah. You miss again. 100% of shots. Yeah. You, you, know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Exactly. Um, so yeah, take the shots. Make sure that you you and your team have everything possible to succeed within that. Um, but uh, always be aware that like if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, that there's always like that, that sort of risk and reward. Um, but it's not to say don't be overly conservative too. So it's, it's a fine balance that you have to have to be. Because if you're overly conservative about uh, about... I'm going to try this and kind of dip my toes in the water, then you're never going to give it its fair, it's fair shot. You're not going to take the shot and you're, and you're likely going to miss. So that's, that's a, it's not an easy answer, but it's, it's something that I, I would think other leaders and marketing leaders are probably experience the same thing. So you, you mentioned, you mentioned how much proposal proposify has grown since, since you've been there and congratulations on that as well. I've, I've seen you've had a few awards in the last year as well in the, the top 50, um, sales, sales products, stuff like that, like really cool stuff. Yeah. Thanks. How did you bring that? How did you bring that philosophy to growing Proposify in that way? Like what were the the methods that you took? Like, did you go in with like a playbook planned out? Like, or were you? No, I, I was not the type of CMO that you, you hire because they've been there and done that before sort of for the playback and playbook. And, um, I mean, that's kind of how Proposify has, has grown is like, it started small and it kind of, it's a lot of first time people in their roles that have never, never done it before, which is a little bit different than some startups and scale ups. And some, some companies raise a bunch of money right away. And then they bring in the people that have been there and, and done that before. And other times you can kind of scale and, and grow within it. So we may be a little bit unique in that, but um, that's kind of the approach that, that's happened so far for, for our success. Um, but at the same time, like uh, it, our CEO has told the story, so I'm not worried about saying it. Like before he hired me, he interviewed somebody that at the, this was, it was at Yahoo at the time. And at the time, Yahoo was actually big and still kind of <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty large at, at that time. And they, but they were demanding this, this crazy, this not crazy salary, probably was worth that salary at the time, but it was something like that was more money than the company made the, in the last six months combined for just that, that one person. Uh, and they weren't prepared at the time to kind of, kind of bite that off. And I guess I was the section second choice or something at that, which is a very different approach. Um, but I, I think yeah, leaders and organizations make that choice sometimes. It's like, okay, are you, are you hiring someone who's been there and done that? Or can you invest in somebody with the right raw talent and raw skills to to bring to the table. And I mean, we still have those conversations now when we're hiring new people. It's like, well, do we go out and find someone that's been there and done that? We've seen a lot of success with that model and, and also model with investing in, in some raw talent. So I didn't have that at Playbook to answer your question, but definitely over over the time, there are things that, uh, that you kind of learn and, and, and take from. And I know my, my recommendations for other people is that you don't necessarily have to have the most creative or best idea every single time. And if you think you are, then you're probably fooling yourself, but you can learn a lot by seeing what other people are doing really, really well. And I think the real key talent of good CMOs is those who know how to take the right pieces and apply it to their business and not be distracted just by shiny objects. As we've kind of all heard of shiny object syndrome, it's like, Oh, they're doing that. I'm just going to try and do that for my business too. And it's, if trying to take someone else's ideas and apply it for your own verbatim one-to-one is just a re- recipe for disaster. But the real talent is looking at a market, seeing what's working well, seeing how it applies to your business and taking that nuance and tweaking it and applying it to, to what you do. I think that's a, it's a unique skill that a lot of people don't, um, don't focus on a lot is like how to, how to, um, how to kind of 
steal ideas, but make them your own. And I kind of think of Apple, like Apple has a lot of creative ideas, but you think of some of their best products, someone came out with it first. They just did a way better job at that, at that product and ended up like totally owning a market. They weren't the first smartphone or the first smart watch or anything from that perspective, but they take the pieces that work really, really well and put their, their kind of magic on it. And that's where it, uh, where it really works. So is that, is that your, your main philosophy when it comes to ideas? Like it, it's doing better than other people in specific yeah, it's, things? Yeah, it's learning. It's a lot of listening and learning. It's a lot of like uh, being aware of the market and being aware what, not just what your competitors are doing, but like what people that are, are in the same uh, space as you. I think of them as like competitors from a message perspective. So there might be people that they're not, a, they don't have the same product or services of you at all, but they speak to the same audience. And so who's, who's speaking to that audience? What does that audience get excited about? Um, and I'm not just talking about like generic, like adults, 25 to 54 sort of demographic fits. It's like who, who's all your ultimate kind of persona or your ICP, uh, ideal customer persona profile for, uh, for that market. What do they get excited about? What, to, what do they like? And, and it may have nothing to do with your particular product or service, but there's, there are nuances as to why they get excited about that, that you might be able to learn from and kind of apply to, to what you do. And that's a, that's kind of a unique thing. There's a, there's a, a SaaS software as a service coach named Dan Martell, and he, he calls it R and D it's called Rob and duplicate. <laughs> so it's like, like there's, there's like no that. shame there's, and, and, and don't take shame in it. It's like, it's not, it's not stealing anything. It's not copywriting, but it's just creatively like understanding what works well and putting your own sort of spin on it. So how did, how did you take that method to towards growth for Proposify? Like what were the big like methods that you took? Like where did, where yeah. did you get them from? How did you adapt them for your own? Your Absolutely. Own yeah. So when I started as a growth marketer before kind of evolving in the CMO role, I brought that paid advertising kind of background experience. And I, I asked our co-founders, like, I don't want to do this right in at, right away. We were outsourcing that work and I wanted to continue to outsource it for a little while because I wanted to dive into all of the other aspects. Right? That's just one one mechanism for uh, for growth. And it's definitely not the only thing. And I wanted to figure out, well, what are the real mechanisms for growth for this business? Because it's not going to be the same for every business. But I did look at people in the same market. So we're in kind of like a software, a startup market. I'd look at companies like HubSpot doing really interesting things and in, on inbound marketing and growth and what they're doing from an SEO perspective. So I'm not just going to copy HubSpot. I don't know what exactly what that is, but I'm trying to learn like, okay, they're getting a lot of traffic in these sorts of ways. So I went like heavy into the SEO aspects of our business and, and uh, kind of improving our, our, our site ranking and content and, and optimization and end up that would have been a bigger lever to pull than any of the paid advertising stuff that I had brought. So our co-founders might've thought, oh, we're hiring, hiring this guy with a lot of paid advertising experience. He's going to come in and just do a really good job at leveraging our paid spend and grow, growing us that way. But I, I took a different approach, which is like, no, let's just leave that. I don't think that's going to be the main thing. That's going to be the driver. Let's figure out what the landscape looks like and, and figure out what are those, those channels that can drive, drive us. Cause in the, in the startup space, we talk a lot about like uh, product market fit, which is like, can you sell your product to a certain market, but then there's market channel fit. And then there's channel model fit. And then there is uh What's the other one? Totally blanking on it now. But the, you have to have that whole um, kind of ecosystem working with the product and the marketing and the channel that you're that you're going after and, and how you're selling it. Um, and it needs to be a holistic picture. So 
it's not a, it's not a tried and true method, but it's really just evaluating what is unique to this business that I can, what levers can I pull to, to create growth, um, within it? Well, I suppose, um, being a, being a proposal fire from such like an early stage, like gave you the opportunity to get, get your hands dirty, get to know all these different moving parts of the business. Um, has, has that changed as, as proposal has grown? Like how's, how's your role changed? A hundred percent. I'd say every year, if not every six months, it's, it's looks like a different role basically. And I'd argue back then, even when I was given the title of CMO, I was not a CMO and <laughs> I'm, I'm be the first person to admit that, um, that, uh, yeah, it was probably, too early to, to actually call that. And our CEO and I have had the transparently had the same conversations. Like sometimes young growing companies want to be like, Oh, you're the head of this and you're the head of this. And maybe that was a little bit um, too early to be able to say that. Cause I it wasn't, you look at other CMOs and other organizations, I didn't meet the, what a typical description would be of a CMO, but in the last maybe year and a half, two years, I think it's definitely changed. So I was definitely very much more hands-on as the growth marketer, uh, even into the first year or two of being officially the CMO and, um, something we'll always, our CEO, my Kyle has said, like, you're always trying to hire yourself out of a job. And it starts as the CEO, you wear all the hats, you are sales and you are customer support and you are product development as that role. And eventually you hire a leader for a product and you hire a leader for sales and a leader for marketing and that sort of thing. So you're hiring yourself out of all of these jobs at, in a growing company. The same thing can relate down to like the marketing level where when I started, I was like leading all of the paid advertising, the analytics, the funnel building, a lot of the, the growth um, aspects, conversion rate optimization, that sort of thing too. And I had co-collaborators on some of the creative sides from design and copywriting positioning. And so we ended up hiring more people as the team grows and that sort of thing too. So I, I'm taking this idea of grow, hiring myself out of a job, but I really, what I was doing was hiring things I wasn't as good at, which is another good mechanism is like hire people that are better than you at whatever their specialty is. So hiring way better copywriters and way better designers and, and that sort of thing that weren't my strengths. But I, what I didn't do was really hire myself out of a job. I still wore, kept a lot of those hats. I was wearing too many of them for too long. So it's definitely a, was a learning lesson and had to evolve over time to find people with similar skill sets as me that were better, actually better than me at, at what those things were. And that's a really big takeaway for someone that's maybe just starting into growing into that role of CMO before they've really, really gotten there is make sure that you have the, the team in place to support whatever the company needs. Do you ever miss it? Do you ever like feel like you want to put on the skies, go back into the trenches and like, oh, I'll see what's going on on Google ads kind of thing. Yeah. I, I I'll admit sometimes it's like a guilty little pleasure to be able to do that. Um, it, but it's not necessarily always the most productive and it actually can like step on other people's toes and that sort of thing. So I have to claw myself back a little bit sometimes, but uh, there's a balance there, I guess, with, uh, being informed with what is possible and, and trying to paint more of a strategic picture for where we can go and letting other people make the, the tactical decisions on how that gets executed strategically. And, and there's a certain level of kind of servant leadership there too, where you want, you don't want to just be sitting on your, your high horse sort of thing, like, Oh, I'm and, and showing that you, you can go into the trenches with your team. If something's like something's broken or, you, uh, you just need, everyone needs to band together as a team for, for morale and cultural reasons that, yeah, you can do that. You can roll up your sleeves and do that. Um, but it shouldn't necessarily be the, 
a day-to-day sort of thing. You, if you've done a good job as a CMO, you've hired people that are better than you at those things. And so you stepping in to try and do some of it, it's probably not the best idea. Well, yeah, cause you're not in the marketing team anymore. You're in, you're in the C-suite. Like that's, that's the team you're a part of and you're just in charge of managing that marketing team as a part of being that team in the, the C-suite. Yeah. You make a really, really good point. That's actually something I've been talking with people about lately is some people don't realize who their teams really are. And that's at the C-suite level and then even your management level. So like I am part of the executive leadership C-suite sort of team. And, and that's who I'm collaborating with for like strategic vision. We like objective planning for the organization, but then also you have to think about the team that you have depending on how deep, how many layers there are. We do have like a sort of like a management level there too. And they aren't just individually reporting to me. They are a team in themselves uh, and they are kind of collaborating a lot, even if they have direct reports as well, that there is this idea of which you kind of belong to multiple teams, but ultimately like where, where do you fit into that picture? And it's really about communication and collaboration. And that's the only way that you can really get work done effectively is if you know who your teams are and if you can work collaboratively with them at the executive level or at the kind of like management level. Well, I suppose that's something that a lot of growth CMOs, particularly first time growth CMOs are going to have to get used to is uh, trying out like these different models, like these different models for teams, different models for um, like how the, how the company functions, how it fits into the rest of the the organization. Yeah, we've, we've gone through a couple models ourselves from that perspective, because it started off with just a, a group of a few people. So there is the three, three marketers, myself, two others. Uh, we'd end up hiring, oh, we've got some more budget and resource. Why are we bottlenecked right now? We would just always hire to unbottleneck certain functions. Like we need to write more. We need to produce more content here. We need to, we need more like email nurture campaigns. We need focus on, that was like the first intention of when we were hiring more people was just removing where the current team was, was feeling pain. But that uh, model does not scale very well um, because it's not structured. It's not organized. And what you end up having is a, a team of a lot of specialists in particular areas and the the generalist or marketing strategy then is still siloed to like one or two people um and it's not very not very empowering for the team when they're only responsible for one kind of specific aspect they're basically just waiting to do their particular thing at least in the scale of organization where where that we are right now it's a lot more empowering if you have people that can tackle a larger project and own that kind of from start to finish. They don't need to be an expert in every single category, but they can see and speak to it and and work with other people effectively to make that a reality. Um, The way that we kind of position it internally is is this idea of the T-shaped marketer. Um, If you've heard of that before, where you're broad on the top of the capital T, you're broad in a lot of aspects of marketing. So, you know, copywriting, SEO, optimization, paid, co-marketing sponsorships, just like all these sort of things that a marketer could be doing at any given time. And then you're usually deep in at least one or maybe two of those categories. So when I started at Proposify, it was a T-shape brought across many, but deep in the paid advertising space. And there are some others that are deep into the design or deep into copywriting. If you have a team of those type of people, they're broad enough that they can own a project and they can see the vision for what it looks like. And they can bring their specialty into that one vertical but they can collaborate with other people much more effectively because they can all speak the same language, at least at the top level of of what they're talking about. But if you have just people that are specialists and deep in one category, but don't have that breadth, 
they don't have the ability to necessarily carry a project forward. So building a marketing team, something I've spoken about to other people is make sure your team's full of a bunch of T-shaped marketers. Awesome. Uh, that, 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 I, I like that idea. I hadn't heard that T model before, but that, that's definitely something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry forward. I might update my LinkedIn profile to say that's what I am. A T-shaped marketer. Yeah, yeah I think the, it was Brian Belfour, who was previously at HubSpot, might have coined yeah. that term. Um, I'm not going to take on credit for it. Uh, <laughs> and then there's you can actually evolve that. There's um, someone else, I, I know his name's Ross Simmons. He evolved that to the capital I shape, which is then at the bottom of the, the T when you kind of got that is the breadth of skills that are more kind of soft skills like leadership, coaching, managing budgets, that sort of thing. And that's what, that's when you really identify who you are elite, your leader, marketing leaders are going to be, or managers where they, they have that T shape, that, that depth in one area and breadth, but they also bring these other skills that you need to, to lead and to project manage um, the rest of the team to make, to make your, your project successful. Um, circling back to something you said earlier about the, well, two things you said earlier about the, not being conservative with the shots you take and also moving away from that sort of reactive hiring model that you were previously using. Like, were there any other things that you realized weren't working as part of your development as a, as a CMO, like things that you had to learn not to do? Yeah. I mean, one's just more like a business in general. I'm not scared of like sharing this is that if you're trying to like evolve into a new market or an, or a, add more to something that you're doing currently. Because typically that that's something that will happen in, in scaling organizations is uh, they call it that hockey stick growth right away, where it's like, oh, okay, you got product market fit and stuff like people like what you're doing and you start to see a bunch, a bunch of growth. Eventually though, that's going to peel off and plateau. And every company, if you look at like generalized has a uh, a, a scale period and then a, and a flattening period. And then they figure something else. There's a scale period again, and then there's a, a flattening period. So whenever you get to the, the flattening period of your kind of growth trajectory, you ultimately think, well, it's like, well, what's the next thing that we're going to do that will cause us to, to win. Um, and from a marketing perspective that you might think that's just, that's a new channel that you haven't experienced before. It could be a new market that you're going after for. Um, and the, the hardest thing to then do, especially if you're, um, if, if budget is a consideration is, okay, well, do I take stuff away from what's currently working and apply it to the new area? Um, and that balance between keeping what, you know, it is, has worked and is working versus investing in the potential future. And there's no easy answer there because if you don't invest in the future, then you're, your SOL, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get there because you you'll probably stay flatlined, and someone else will figure out what the next thing is. And uh, if if you don't, so you kind of have to experiment there. But if you go down that direction, this is my kind of my point of going in all into your strategy, but being aware of kind of the impacts of that. If your bet doesn't pay off, what are what are the risks there, and how do you evaluate that, and how do you maintain? what currently works with additional and what's new. And it actually relates back to the idea of hiring yourself out of a job. It's like, you don't, you just need to do, make sure what you're doing right now, you're, you're optimizing and you have it better. And it might mean that there were five people involved in it before. Can you optimize it to three people uh, and, and a third of the budget at the same return? So you can take that budget and those people and apply them to a new experimental sort of method and, and mechanism, as opposed to just, taking part of that budget and those people and applying them somewhere else. And you're really just stealing from one area of your business and potentially giving it to another, which could totally pay off. But if it doesn't, then you're, uh, you're in trouble. 
Oh, definitely. I'm sure the, the other members of the C-suite would be a bit annoyed with you as well to, if you were stealing stuff from them and it didn't pay off, definitely. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you think you have a growth playbook now? Like we said, we said you didn't go into the role with a playbook, but like, do you think you have one now or is that just not something that's realistic? Like, does it need to be unique to the time? And the, or like, could you, could you step into another CMO role at a startup and say like, this is what we need to do based on what I did at Proposify or... Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's potential dangers there for that example of like not, not every business is the same. So that idea of like just stealing some other company's ideas and trying to apply it to a different business, like that's no no guarantee that that's going to, going to pay off, but the playbook would then have to be broad enough in general so that it, it, it applies to how any business could potentially leverage this. And so I, I think of it as a, what are your growth engines within the organization, which is like how you make money. Um, and ultimately that is marketing's role in collaboration with product and sales, depending on what your business model is, is you just need to figure out how to make, how to make more money. And so the, the marketing engine is kind of this combination of all the touch points from like traditional top of funnel down into the bottom funnel. It's your, the pirate metrics, AARRR activation, uh, acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, referral. And, and it's all of the pieces that, that fit into that. So if I have a playbook, it's really just saying you need to understand what your revenue engine is and you need to understand, okay, what's the market that I'm going after? How am I positioning it to that market? How am I positioning my product or my service to that market? What channel am I choosing or channels am I choosing to communicate that message of the positioning to that market? When I communicate to that market, how am I capturing it? Um, so is it like in our, in our case, transparency, like we have a free trial of our software. We have like lead magnets, we call them like eBooks and white papers. We can request a demo. There are lots of mechanisms for capturing our audience. Then there's a nurture sort of sequence after that. How, how am I communicating and educating this, this through this buyer journey, whether that's through email or retargeting ads or just communication on our website or webinars that we go on that we do or things that we sponsor in the market. How do we make sure that once we captured them, that they, that they are able to make a buying decision if that's the right decision for them. And then what's the ultimate conversion point? How do they end up buying? And and do you make it easy for them to do that? Is it, is it an easy choice? Have you communicated your value effectively so that that mechanism of, of revenue capture uh, makes sense? And then are you continuing to like keep them after that capture? So it's understanding all those, how, how all of those pieces play together. And if you change one, it might impact the rest of them. And being aware of all of those sorts of things is super important because if you change your positioning, I mean, your channels might have to change. If you change, especially if you change your market, all of that stuff down down is going to have to change. And uh, one thing may fall apart and it could break your entire sort of revenue engine. And, uh, and then you may also want to create different revenue engines, which require different positioning and different channels and, and different messages. So it's understanding that like, ultimately, how do we get money from people? How do we make revenue? And what were all of the touch points that, that had them that preceded that? So in order to really truly understand that, you need to know your, your data pretty inside and out. And you also need to know your customer from like an anecdotal um, like interview perspective and listening to calls with sales, if that's part of your business model or, uh, interviewing them, surveying them, knowing what the market is doing. So it's not much of a playbook really, so to speak, but it's, those are just key aspects that any business would need to do to, to be successful. Do you, do you think you were better suited to 
understand that that revenue engine because you were an internal hire? Was that was? Do you think that was an advantage rather than? Um, yeah, like like an external hire might not have the opportunity to know that from day one. From day one, yeah, they they wouldn't. I'd recommend anyone who is joining the company try and figure that stuff out as soon as possible. That's your first job is like, okay, what is the revenue engine? How does it work? Or how can it, how can I make it better? Um, for me, particularly, why I think um, it came easier as my background was in like not just marketing, but in like finance and like a computer science background a bit too. So I wore you wear many hats in a young startup. We didn't have like a CFO. We had kind of had an external outsource sort of CFO. So any business financial questions, especially when it comes to software and like we're in a recurring revenue model. So like we talk about monthly recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue or churn and uh, and a lifetime value of our customers. I ultimately owned all of that on top of kind of the traditional marketing metrics. So it come came very naturally for me to like think about the revenue engine and how it all works, where, where are we making money from, which helps make marketing decisions a lot easier because you know where to invest, you know where to put your time, you know the right sort of things because you're looking at the, the metrics and measures of success a little bit more globally than maybe traditionally a marketer would have, um, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago. So would you would you describe yourself as a growth specialist CMO? Is that is that the hat that you'd wear? Yeah, it's not a bad picture to paint for sure. Um, I definitely lean heavier on the sort of systems process analysis and data side of marketing. Um, so I have a kind of a, uh, there's another person in our company who's the chief creative officer and I'm the chief marketing officer. And we've worked closely together over the past kind of few years. And we have a running joke that we're like two-headed monster sort of thing. But really it's the right right brain, left brain sort of idea where I'm definitely have much heavier on the kind of analytical side. Although the arguably there's a lot of creativity that can go into that. Um, but, and then, and then she was much, much heavier on the kind of the creative, traditional creative marketing side of, of positioning and messaging that, that sort of beast. And you, you need both. Uh, you really need both to be successful. I don't know if it's common, if you really get both out of one person every single time, but in our model that that's worked, um, worked for us. But if you don't get it in one person, you want to make sure that you have that covered in your team. And that kind of goes back to the idea of uh, hiring yourself out of a job and making sure you have people that are better than you. Because if you aren't as strong on the, the funnels side of system analytics side, I would hope that you would have a head of marketing operations that is able to fill in those holes for you. Um, or if you aren't as good on the positioning side, you have a product marketing expert that is is really solid at uh, at doing some of the positioning work. So that's something that we've had to to learn over time as well. So speaking of learning, um, what's next? What what are you working on in terms of your skills? What 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 does Proposify need from you now that you're working on? Yeah, I'd say the so the since I think I've, I've really more evolved into all being like a more CMO role over the past few years, it, it has been a lot of learning and that sort of thing. And I think to admit to be a CMO, it's to admit that you aren't actually doing a lot of hands-on marketing tactical things anymore. So I, I'm trying to educate myself just on basic coaching um, concepts and ideas that can be applied to coaching kind of the marketing team, uh, as well as like painting a clear picture to that team of like what that success looks like, that communication of what what does what does the marketing team need to do for the company to be successful? Or really, my my role is making sure that that company vision is possible within 
what is possible within our marketing team, given our, our people and our resources. So in order to do that, the people on our team need to need to enact that. So it's, it's my job to paint that picture, to make sure that I'm removing bottlenecks for my own team, that they are skilling themselves up to be able to make those realities true. So it's a lot of coaching training um, process so that the team has the resources that they need to be successful. Where are you, where are you learning these skills from? Like, do you have like, certain touch points that you go to certain wells that you go back to for the, these kinds of lessons, or is it just something you're learning on the job kind of thing? On the, a lot of on the job, to be perfectly honest, I'll, I'll do some like, I, I like audiobooks just cause I can do, I can usually like, I don't know, like try and do something else like physically, not mentally while I'm do, doing that for, for a sense of time. So I'll, I'll, I'll listen to a bunch of audiobooks uh, where, where I can reading just like thought leadership from other people on the web. There's so much free, amazing content out there that I'll, I'll go there. It's, I don't put it in my, I apologize. There's no, no one big uh, thing <laughs> that, that, that I'll kind of, kind of go towards, but our, our marketing team has actually started doing a book club. So every, uh, every Friday we get together and we've read a, a chapter two of a, of a piece of content. And it doesn't even have to just be a book. We're doing webinars or eBooks, other forms of content and, and learning together as a team with things that change. And uh, one example I'll just give is that we, we recently migrated to the OKR model objectives and key results for our quarterly planning. We had previously used um, the employee operating system EOS model um, and which is like rocks, pebbles, and sand, this idea that you need to fill your jar with the rocks first um, before that. So we've kind of moved to this objective um, model. So our team read uh, a book, um, what's it called is an OKR book, uh, together as a team about, um, it was, um, oh, I apologize that I don't have that on top of my head, but about a, a fable, uh, it was a, a book with a fable about, um, an example company implementing OKRs within their organization. And we, we learned together as we were implementing this system. And it, I think it worked really, really well because we all learned at the same time, this new concept within the organization and implemented it fairly quickly within that quarter. And this is the second quarter that we're, we're doing it and already seeing major improvement um, in terms of our ability to, uh, to think about what object, what objectives we need to hit and what initiatives are, we're, we're choosing to drive those. So it's a, a good thing of kind of bringing the team together. Uh, if you do remember the name of the book, let me know, and I'll pull it. I'll pull it in the description when we when this goes live, so so people Perfect. can know. I'll do uh, I'll do something really quickly just to benefit all of the uh, all of the listeners. I know I have it right here on my phone. It's called Radical Focus by ah. Christina Whitkey. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, it sounds it sounds very very interesting. I'm interested in this sort of like this two way street learning model that you're you're listening to the rest of your team and you're working together to sort of like drive the company forward is that is that something that you think all cmos should be doing or is that are there pitfalls there maybe that you're you're not yeah, taking like the leadership role in the way yeah something in some situations for sure for sure something as an entire leadership team we, we've realized and this is kind of one of the reasons why we adopted the okr model is to be we were being too much of a top-down kind of directive-driven organization, which doesn't allow for a team to to feel like they have the power to make choices or or effective decisions. Um, and the OKMR kind of flipped it for ourselves, where it is a lot more bottom-up in terms of decision making. And it's ultimately the executive leadership's team is to paint that picture of what is possible. So that everyone else in the organization can just look at what that picture of success looks like. And when they're making their decisions to say, does this work within that vision of the future? 
And that's all it really is, is a vision of what the future needs to be. And the leadership team comes up with that vision based on research and data and what we're seeing in the market and where, where it's going, what available resources we have on hand. And this is the the, the picture that we're painting for everyone. But then so many decisions are made on a day-to-day -day basis by everyone in your organization. And it's you can't dictate every decision. You don't want to dictate every decision. So it's really important to make sure that that picture is clear as possible when those decisions are being made. And then ultimately give the ability for more of those decisions to be made from your organization. And that's when you can get all things just done faster and more efficiently. And you'll, you'll probably see better ideas um, because they're, if you've hired correctly, you've got a lot of smart people in your organization who don't not need to just be told what to do. They just need to um, know that when they're making a decision that it's aligned with the direction of the company. And so that their decisions are, yes, I'm making a decision and it's aligned with the picture that's been painted for me. And that ultimately should be the right decision, but uh, also create an, an environment where um, failure isn't a bad thing. So that kind of goes back to that semi-philosophy I, I guess I had before, which is um, go all in on your strategy, but realize that you're going to fail probably more than you're going to succeed. And you have to make sure that your team is comfortable with that concept um, because otherwise they'll try and kind of, they will be scared to make that decision. Or if they do fail, they might try and like hide it or something. And it's like, you don't, you want that to come open and say, Hey, we tried this idea didn't work, but we learned this, 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 and this, and here's what we're trying next. That's what we're trying to kind of establish within the organization with this idea of enablement and, and objectives. Exactly. If, you, if you're hiding your failures, then you're not learning from them. Like you're not, you don't grow at all. You don't know what you've done. You don't, no one knows what you've done wrong and no one knows what you're doing better next time. Exactly. So, and sharing that information is the biggest part. So, uh, making sure other people know what's been done before, what's been tried, and what hasn't worked, and what hasn't is, and so effective communication and sharing within our organization will just open up so many doors. So, from from all these lessons you've learned from like your your first CMO role, so it, and it sounds like it's gone very well. Like, congratulations. What advice do you have for people who would be stepping into a new CMO role soon, or are looking to make that jump in the near future? Yeah, I, I'd say understand that being a CMO means then it's way more than about just being a good marketer. Um, and that that doesn't have to be the only path if that's what you think, if that's what you think it is, that being a CMO is about empowering people. It's about coaching. It's about other people combined with a lot of cross-functional business acumen and working on, a, on that executive leadership team and seeing where where the next revenue engine is going to come from and, and, and that's sort of making those, making those decisions. It's not necessarily about being the best tactical paid advertising specialist or SEO specialist or uh, whatever kind of that vertical that you, you brought, you can bring those, those that experience with you and it can be an, taken as an advantage within your role. But I guess if someone's wanting to be and choosing to be that CMO, just acknowledge to yourself that, it's a lot more than just being a good marketer. It's about uh, being a good, a good executive leader and a good mentor and, and a good coach kind of above, above a lot of the rest. How do you go about learning to do that though? Is it just learn oh, by that's, doing or? That's a hard one. Yeah. I'm probably, uh, I don't know. I'm maybe not even the best person to ask that question, but yeah. Is that there a conversation was a, for another time? Is that, is well, that a no, yeah, episode right it, there? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I, I, where I'm sitting right now, yeah, that's the continual challenge is just trying to evolve yourself to, to be those sorts of things. Um, and I think you always have to acknowledge in whichever role you're in that you're always trying to make yourself the next best person for that role. 
Um, cause at any given time, and this actually came from that book that I, that I read, uh, radical focus. I, there was an example of the two, there was, it was a, the two co-founders of the company. There was a, this is a fake story, but they were potentially going to get kicked out of the organization. Spoiler alert. Uh, and one of their board members, um, basically says, well, I could just go find someone else, another CEO to, and hire them to do this job, or you could become that CEO. Uh, you can, but you have to adopt and change to become that role. Uh, and, and that takes investment in yourself from like a learning perspective and investment and reflection on what you're really good at doing and, and what you're not good at doing and seeing what the company needs and marrying all of those things together. Um, and that may, you may decide that that's not you. And maybe it is better for the company to have somebody else and you can focus on some other area that is your strength, or you can decide like, no, I can be that person. I just need to be get way better at this aspect in this area, which might be something along coaching. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. You can bring me back and I'll give you an update. (laughs) Well, I I think on that note, we we can end that there. I think that's a good note to end on Patrick. uh, Thank you very much. I think that's a good lesson to take away from this. Um, joining me today um, and thank you to the listeners Um, join us next time for more conversations with CMOs